We had an amazing Easter together. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being a part of that. E- every campus had a, a great Sunday last week, and I-, I thought I'd just highlight one. A bunch of you have seen uh, the progress out at Centerville as they've put together this building and started to invite friends, and, and uh, man, 900 folks showed up at Easter, evidently 218 kids. So we, as a family, we just celebrate the multiplication. As many of you remember, just a few years ago, 150 folks left Radius Lexington with Ryan and Courtney Maloney, and they went out to plant a church in Rocky Creek Elementary School. And here they were this Sunday, and it's Easter. Obviously, the numbers are really huge on Easter, right? But 900 folks from the Gilbert, Leesville, West Lexington area showed up to worship Jesus, to hear about Jesus, and that's something for all of us, our whole family to celebrate that went down this Easter. Ryan Maloney told a story on their very first Sunday in the, in the new building, and I imagine you haven't heard it before, of his wife, Courtney, being pregnant with their second, Hyatt, And uh, they're sitting at the house and they just keep asking this question, is it time? All of us that have had children, you you remember this process. They're at the house and evidently the contractions are like 10, 10 minutes apart. And then all of a sudden, Courtney started to go into rapid contractions and as fast as they could, (laughs) Ryan loaded her up in the car and they started flying down 378 to to uh, uh, Lexington Medical Center, and, and no longer are they asking, is it time? It's time. Courtney is uh, not panicking, but she's giving uh, Ryan the play-by-play in the seat beside her. She's, she's telling him he's got to call 911 because she's going to have the baby. And Ryan, of course, has got his foot on the floor, and they are flying down the road. And then all of a sudden, when they get in front of the Lowe's right there on 378 in Lexington, Courtney says, the baby is out. Uh, I don't know uh, whether they planned well or not, but it was time. The baby's out. They pull into Lowe's parking lot. You have to ask Ryan for the accurate details. He's already called 911. The ambulance comes and the baby's fine. Obviously, a beautiful baby girl, Hyatt, who's now growing up and becoming a young lady. It's a crazy story. Is it time for the Gamecocks right now? There's got to be a lot of hope with Coach Beamer. I don't know. I'm so impressed with the guy. I'm starting to kind of like the Gamecocks a little bit. And there's this question, is it time? Is this, is he the guy? Is he the one who's going to take us all the way to the SEC championship? I can't have you win the national championship, but SEC championship, is it time? There are a variety of godly, cute young ladies taking this in right now that are asking the question, is it time? They're wondering when one of you young men taking this in right now are going to get up the courage to ask them out. Is it time? Of course it's time. Get up the courage, fellas. Let's go. Is it time is a question that we ask all the time in our culture. And certainly the church for 2,000 years has been asking the question, is it time for Jesus to return? We're going to take three weeks and... uh, chat up. This little simple phrase, is it time? And usually when we start a new series, it's my job to kick it off. So that's why I'm with you today. And we're going to look at just a few verses in the book of Acts. Remember, we just finished the book of Mark and we celebrated Easter and Jesus' resurrection after his death and his burial. And now we open up the book of Acts, which really begins this new season 
really in the world after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is risen. He's talking to his disciples. And here's, here's a question they ask in verse six of chapter one of Acts. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Did you catch it? Is it time? Has the time come? Well, just to give you a little context, uh, if you could go all the way back to Genesis chapter three and the fall of man and read this little verse where right after the fall, there's this mention of a C, the capital S C. So from the very beginning, from the first time after the fall, there's this prophecy that there's gonna be a seed, that there's gonna be a relief to the brokenness of mankind because of his sin. But certainly for the apostles, all Jewish, uh, they're thinking back potentially to the time of Abraham when God made Abraham a covenant. And, and it's 2,000 years prior. They've been waiting for 2,000 years to see that covenant come to fruition. Or maybe the Davidic, when David walked, the Davidic covenant. That there was this promised king that was to come. Or maybe they remembered some of the prophecies of Isaiah 700 years prior. For the first time ever, Isaiah 53 is beginning to make sense what the Messiah must look like. All these years of waiting, generations of waiting, generations of passing down the story of a Messiah that would come. And I don't know if you remember, but as we went through the book of Mark, we actually heard Peter say to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. So the disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years and they, they began to understand that he was the Messiah. And so they're waiting and they're asking a very fair question. Has the time come? They're hungry for the time to come. They're hungry for Jesus to be king and the kingdom to be established. To get context uh, on that little verse six, we ought to read the verses previous. Just to give you a little idea of how Acts works. Acts is written by a guy named Luke. You've probably heard of Luke. Luke also wrote one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he wrote 24 chapters about Jesus' life. And he starts from his birth and he goes all the way to the resurrection. And then really Acts is like second Luke because it's his second book and it's exactly in chronological order. In the first few verses of Acts, he actually re reviews the last few verses of Luke. And so is it time is a great question to ask with the disciples because they're just wrestling with the risen Jesus. What do we do with the risen Jesus and how do we go forward? Let me read you just a couple verses. Acts chapter one. In my first book, Luke, I told you Theophilus. Theophilus is a friend of Luke's. He's a believer in Jesus. A lot of folks believe that he's the benefactor. He's the one that's financing Luke to take all this time to write these books. So thank you, Luke, for writing the gospel, right? Thank you, Luke, for writing Acts. And thank you, Theophilus, for making it possible to do all this work. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During those 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So he just reviews this time 
from Jesus' death 40 days forward to his ascension into heaven. So died, buried, rose again, and then 37 days walking the planet, right, with his disciples in and out of conversations and meals and convincing them that he was alive. I love that. I love that line. Continuing to teach them about the kingdom of God. He wanted to lay deeply in them the knowledge that they would need to go forward. I love this line in here, and it really introduces the book of Acts well. It says that he gave the apostles further instructions. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Crazy line. So Jesus, the Son of God, is instructing the apostles, the disciples, through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, two parts of the Trinity. And so as you see in in 2 Luke or Acts, in, in Luke... We see Jesus come on the scene. And in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come on the scene in in its fullness. So verse 4 and 5 kind of affirm that once he was eating with them, I love that, Jesus, the risen Savior, the one who got up out of the grave. This isn't a zombie who can't eat, right? Like this isn't some kind of force or, or some other thing. Jesus, the risen Savior, his flesh and blood, eats with them, and he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, just to review, Luke, Mark, John, Matthew, they all talk about God the Father sending his son. Baby Jesus, you know the story. And then we open up the book of Acts, And Luke is telling us that Jesus, God the Father, are sending the Holy Spirit. We open up Romans and he says that Jesus was the gift of God. And we open up Acts and he actually says that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us. Really goes in that order, doesn't it? First Jesus, right? Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection. And for you, first Jesus, first you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and you're saved, you're redeemed. You're seen as, seen as righteous in the sight of God. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Acts, the Holy Spirit in you. You remember the story just a couple weeks ago when uh, Jesus dies on the cross He shouts out, it is finished. And what happens? There's a variety of things happen, but there's this very important moment where the curtain, this curtain that divides the Holy of Holies and and the rest of the temple, it is split in two. Curtain 60 feet tall, approximately four inches thick. So no man is tearing this thing and certainly no man is tearing it from the top. There's There's this teaching there where God tears the curtain and opens the way to the Holy of Holies where we could be in his presence through the death of Jesus on the cross. And so as we read Acts and we think about Jesus dying and now the Holy Spirit coming on the scene, Jesus has made the way for us to experience holiness in our lives. So he's made us holy. So now we are, 1 Corinthians says, the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this way, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Believe that? So, so no longer this big building temple that's divided with a curtain where, where God dwells. Now you, 
me, our bodies are the temple. We're the dwelling place of God. It's an amazing thought. It's an overwhelming thought. It's a thought that makes me want to ask this question. Is the spirit really a gift to you? Do you really want him dwelling inside of you? Do you want him to dominate your will? It's, it's a crazy question for every believer to ask. A lot of us uh, will say things like, if Jesus was around, <laughs> you know, it sure would be a whole lot easier. So if Jesus was at the house and he had my spare bedroom and I got back to the house after work today and I come back in, I imagine I'd swing by his room and say, how's everything going? And, and have this little conversation. But what Jesus taught as he walked the earth is I can only be one place at a time so I, because I'm fully human. So, so I, I can only interact with so many people in a day and, and he can handle a whole lot of people, but that was still a defined group of people. And so he says he's going to send us some, someone better. He's going to send us a counselor, the scripture says. So all of a sudden we go from waiting and hoping that I could interact with the physical Jesus to having the Holy Spirit live within me. When I was a kid, some of y'all would be shocked by this. If I wanted to talk to my grandparents, I would have to go to the house and pick up the phone, which was at the house, by the way, and dial the number and hope that my grandmother or grandfather were at home. In order to have a conversation, we had to have it coordinated. We both had to be home. They had to hear it ring. And uh, we had to have this connection that I would, some of y'all don't remember this, but we, we dial every number. And that's, that's how we talked, which was amazing. It was way better than it had been 50 years ago. But today, you guys actually carry your phone along with you. And if you want to talk to your grandmother, if she's willing to text, if she's willing to FaceTime, if she's willing to talk on the phone, you, she's probably always got hers with her and you've always got yours with you and you can stay in connection. And Jesus is saying, man, when I was here, you could call me like I, in person, come to the house and dial on the old rotary, but now I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit and you can ask him anytime and he's the ultimate counselor. He'll walk you through the hardest times of life if you'll just interact with him. So let me ask you again, is the spirit a gift to you? Like, Do you use that phone that's connected to the living God if you've been saved? Because it was supposed to be a gift, he's willing to be your counselor and your help and be just there. <laughs> I think sometimes we don't think it's a gift because he doesn't always agree with what we want to do. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter five would say that he, the Holy Spirit, would war against our flesh. Like he goes to war against our flesh. He's seeking the best for us, but it's not always what we want, which is a gift because he's driving us to the best. Hopefully you have humans in your life, right, that do that. Man, uh, my mom wants the best for me. So she will, she will fight for the best, certainly when I was a young man. I watched my wife fight for the best for my kids, which sometimes means that she tells the truth in a way that they don't love. But that's a gift when you look back. You get a few years on you and you look back to those times when your mom would tell you some truth and, and love on you, but tell you some truth. You look back and thank them for all that work and how it blessed your life going forward. And here we are, the followers of Jesus with the curtain, curtain torn and the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's a gift. The scripture then uses this word baptized in the spirit. It's kind of, 
kind of interesting, not used a whole lot in the Bible. John baptized with water. Luke, Matthew, Mark, John. John the Baptist baptized with water. But in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So all the Gospels virtually pick up this story of John the Baptist baptizing folks in water. And you can actually imagine them being immersed. They would repent. They would go up under the water and come back out. Many of you have walked the process of baptism. You've been baptized at one of the Radius churches or perhaps before you ever came to Radius and you were dunked in the water and, and immersed in the water and then you were brought back up. And that, it's a beautiful celebration, one of the favorite things we ever do here at Radius. But Jesus says to the disciples, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a crazy, crazy thought to be immersed in the Holy Spirit to be clothed in the Holy Spirit. This, this phrase is used in another passage in the Bible, and I, I, they really don't seem to be used in the same way. This seems to be special, like the disciples are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and energized for the work that God has for them. So it's interesting, when you ask, is it time? Jesus is saying, wait. So the disciples are saying, is it time? And he's saying, wait, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and then it's time. I think that's what he's saying. Let's, let's, let's read on. Verse six again. So the apostles were with Jesus and they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the father alone has authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when you ask this question, is it time? Uh, you have the disciples hungry for the kingdom and yet Jesus says that, <laughs> that the Father alone has authority to set the dates. In many ways, he's saying, no, it's not time. <laughs> kind of, right? So he's saying, no, it's not time for the immediate restoration of Israel and the establishment of my kingdom here on earth in full effect. No, it's not time. It's not time for all that to happen right now. And so the disciples, that's what they're hungry for. That's what they're anticipating. It doesn't seem like they're hungry for their position anymore in the kingdom. They actually just want the kingdom. They want it for their neighbors and friends. They want people to know the King Jesus like they know the King Jesus. And so when they hear this, you wonder how they reacted. But Jesus, he puts this but right after that. No, it's not time. By the way, sometimes it's not a good thing to know when it's time. Like perhaps somebody could tell you the exact day you would die. Would that be a good thing to know? It'd probably be a whole lot better to live this life not knowing what that date is. And the Father, with all authority and wisdom, says, hey, those dates aren't available to you, right? When it's time, those dates aren't available to you. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You can imagine the disciples sitting there with Jesus. They've been asking over and over like a kid, asked their parent over and over and over, is it time, is it time, is it time, is it time? And Jesus says, no, no, it's not time for Israel to be fully restored in, in essence because the Father controls all the, de that's, that's coming, that's coming. But, 
<laughs> and it's almost as if this, this is to be celebrated. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I love that line. There's this expectation that followers of Jesus, certainly those disciples in the room, and I believe this applies to us all, that we are connected to the power of God because he indwells us and lives in this temple. There's this expectation that you and I have touch with that power, have access to that power. We're plugged into that power source. And so our neighbors should expect us as a light in the neighborhood to be able to intercede on their behalf to the living God. I was driving down 378, and uh, uh, I got rear-ended. I could see it coming. You ever had this happen? Quick stop. My little black Honda comes to a quick stop. Jerry, our, our uh, uh, executive pastor, sitting with me in the car, and I get mine just stopped before the Toyota in front of me, barely stopped. And by, about the time I look up in the mirror, I can see this an SUV-ish car coming in this young lady driving. I don't think she was texting. She was just concentrating driving. And you could see she was a little late to the brake. Her eyes got really big. And then she hits the back of my car and just crunches us and pushes us into the front car in front of us. I'm going to tell you, I'm getting old because that thing hurt. Now, my head popped down. Me and Jerry both in our 50s and we looked at each other. I think he was tougher than I was. I looked at him and he looked at me. I was like, you all right? And he, and he asked me if I was all right because I was looking a little woozy. And then we both felt responsible for the cars on both sides. So Jerry got out and went and helped the, the young lady behind us. It was super sad. And, and I jumped out and helped three young ladies in front of us that we'd hidden from behind. When I got up to the, the, to the door, there's three girls, all of them about 18. They were on their break from work. And the girl that was driving, like, it scared her really bad. And she was freaking out. Like she was, I mean, it was funny to me. So excuse me. She's kind of flopping in her, in her seat, freaking out a little bit. And, and, and finally, she just kind of swooned. She kind of leaned over on her friend and laid there. And the other two girls are just looking at her. It scared all of us looking at her. And so she's crying. I reached in and grabbed one of her hands. And I said, can I pray for you? And the minute I said, can I pray for him? She grabbed my other hand. It shocked me. And she started praying out loud before I could get Jesus out of my mouth. As a matter of fact, she goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she sat straight up in the inner seat and began to call out to God. It was this moment where she knew who the power source was. It was pretty hilarious because it was like she was immediately fine. And then she jumped up on her feet right there outside of the car. And when she stood up, she stood up too fast. So she passed out right in the middle of 378. I actually caught her going down and had to lay her down on the concrete in 378. And then eventually she came back too. And she's a really, really sweet girl who clearly believed that Jesus gives us the right by opening up the curtain to the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, I don't know, I think that uh, that's kind of superstitious to us. And we say the name Jesus or we talk about the Holy Spirit in moments of crisis. And, and it's, just, it's just like this special thing that we can do that gives our, our physical bodies peace and our mind peace. Sometimes I don't think that we really believe <laughs> that we have that power within us and that God has allowed us to demonstrate his power in this world. I think we read these verses pretty interesting on why he gave us the spirit and why he is baptizing the apostles, particularly in this passage with his spirit. For what is he doing that? And he says it right here. 
He says, to be my witnesses. Let's read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you or, or clothes you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If there was a radius verse, this is it. This is, this is a super uh, famous verse in the, in the book of Acts. But if there's a radius verse, this would be it because we believe in taking responsibility for our radius, for the peoples in our sphere of influence. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna come on, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come on you with power and you're gonna tell people, you're gonna witness to folks in Jerusalem first and then Judea and Samaria and then all the way to the ends of the earth. So if you're a partner at Radius, you know this. If you're new at Radius and you just hear who we're about as a church, we just believe it's our responsibility to love the people in our Radius. And not just love them, but eventually, verbally, vocally, proclaim the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. To tell them the good news in hopes that they would believe. In reality, it's often a grind. Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. I've known Jesus since I was a boy. And for years and years, I've been asking, is it time? When's he coming back, right? And this life, as promised by Jesus, is full of life because of the spirit within me. But at the same time, I, I want to see him do stuff. And as I've lived a little while, I've become, to, become more comfortable with just grinding it out and being obedient to what he's asked us to do. And so at Radius, I think you know this, but our expectation, if you're a partner, is that really it's you times two. So what God's doing in you, which has to happen first, that work of the spirit inside of you is supposed to be passed on to somebody else. Somebody else is supposed to eventually meet Jesus and learn how to follow Jesus because of your influence, which means we work hard on ourselves by allowing the spirit to drive and lead us. But it also means that we pass it along to others. If you're a group leader, we have a bunch of amazing group leaders. You know that the expectation is not just for you to lead a group, but that eventually you're actually dreaming of a day when your group will break into two, right? Or, and a few of the folks will go to another place and you've empowered another group leader so that we could have two groups. If you're a church leader, we have six campus pastors. The hope is that you continue to grow your campus and that, that folks will come and lives will be changed, but eventually there'll be another campus that goes out and grows out of your work. That's exactly what happened at Lexington just a few years ago. We just celebrated Centerville having 900 people uh, on an on a Easter Sunday. And you can remember if you're from Lexington when we sent 150 down the road toward Gilbert and now 900 are there on Easter. That is 150 times six because we were willing to send because we believed in you times two, groups times two, Church times two. Hopefully someday we'll be the family of churches times two. Let me tell you that story of Centerville and we'll celebrate this activity of the Holy Spirit right here at Radius in front of our own eyes. Man, it hasn't been that many years ago. There was a, a volunteer here named Ryan Maloney and uh, we asked him to leave his job and take a job with us. And he accepted the job with us. And he, he led groups for us for a little while at Lexington. And then he did some men's ministry. And, and then we asked our body, as some of you guys remember this, we asked during, 
during the month of May for us to fast and pray, not the whole month of May, but on Wednesdays, we would fast and pray about what God would have us do at Lexington. And during that time, we prayed, we thought, we really thought we were supposed to go east uh, in Lexington and reach that part of Lexington. But as we prayed and fasted and polled our partners, it became really abundantly clear that the Lord would have us go west toward Gilbert and Leesville. And uh, we prayed and we decided to go and we have rented Rocky Creek. And sure enough, God had raised up through the process, Ryan Maloney, in our body to lead that group. Man, 150 people go over there, some great volunteers, uh, lots of young and good leaders. And and look, here here we are a few years later with a pretty amazing story of how we ended up in a building out there. And God has taken that 150. He made it 900 on Easter. That is 150 times six. Multiplication. It's you times two work. That's groups times two work. And then for Lexington, that was the church times two work. Now, that's happened a bunch of times, right? Some of you at Saluda remember going out there with about 20 people and meeting in the barn. On Easter, there was over 160. I'm rounding it off low so I can get my number right. So that's 20 times eight. The barn, the movie theater, I mean, the the theater. uh, Now you're in a bank. You've been in a school, been all over the place. But really, it's, it's you times two. It's one person at a time influence another because of the spirit within them and multiplying over the course of time so that what? So that we could gather together and do what Jesus told us to do, break bread and take the juice and remember his death and also tell the world about him. Irmo's done the same thing. Started with 12 at a house. I was there in the early days with 12 folks. This Sunday, it was 12 times seven. (laughs) From a house to uh, all kinds of places, right? A school, uh, a park, now in a gym, 12 times seven. And White and Old, they started with about 50, and here we are a few years later, 50 times four, 200 people there on Sunday. But the cool thing about White and Old is they've also multiplied churches. So it was church times two, and there's a church over in West Columbia called City Church. Southside has a miraculous story. Uh, as, you, as you all know, 18 folks at Southside Baptist Church gave up something that they owned and, and loved to Radius And then God brought in a miraculous way a great leader in Scott Shuford. And here all of a sudden, what Southside Baptist Church has taken that gift and planted in the ground 18 times six on Sunday. Is it time? It's a tough question because it's kind of wait and go, wait and go. Wait and go. It seems to be the story. Every time I ask the Lord, is it time? It seems to be a time to pray and wait and ask for the Holy Spirit to do something. And then when he does, I have to be ready to go. Let me read you these last couple verses. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. And while they were watching, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? And Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Two interesting lines. Why are you standing here staring at heaven? Like, let's go. 
Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Let's get over to Jerusalem and start praying, which is exactly what they'll do in the coming verses. And then he makes this crazy statement. He'll come back the same way he left. And so you and I, if you know Jesus, we're waiting and going, waiting and going. We're, we're going and praying and asking the Lord to do something. Then we're representing him in, in, in this world as we go with the anticipation that he's going to return. Perhaps it will be soon. He made that promise to Abraham about, about a Messiah to Abraham about 2,000 years before Jesus came. Well, it's been another 2,000 since Jesus came. I wonder if he's coming back this year or next year. Are you ready? He's coming back. There's no question in my mind, and the scripture speaks it clearly, and all of the followers of Jesus agree on the fact that he's coming back. But while we wait, we wait and go. We wait and go on the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we speak to you, and we're thankful for you as a great gift to us. Many of us, as we sit here and we listen to God's word, be open, you do work on our insides as you dwell within us. Please win the battle against our flesh, even now in these few minutes as we sit and sing these songs to the glory of you, the Father and the Son. It's difficult for us to fully yield to you. I know you don't necessarily need permission, but somehow in the design, Lord, it's difficult for us to give up our control of our insides to the Spirit. And so we, we ask for help together even right now. Lord, we do want to be worth multiplying. We want you to change us so that we'd be a light to somebody else so that they'd believe. And then they'd be a light to somebody else so that another would believe. And even as we ask for more, we thank you for what you've already done through the uh, 18 years of Radius Life, of taking one person and multiplying them to two. Thank you for so many disciples that have been made by your spirit here before our very eyes. Thank you for uh, blessing the six churches that exist right now. And we pray that you would uh, use us to produce more. We love you. In the great name of Jesus, amen.